Hi, I'm Justine Elliott, creator and host of What the Am I Doing and Other Questions, a podcast for therapists. Join me and special guests as we chat about the ins and outs of therapy practice. Remember to follow us on Instagram at What the Am I Doing Podcast and subscribe to get notified of all of our future episodes. Welcome everybody back to What the Am I Doing and Other Questions. I'm your host, Justine Elliott, and I'm here today with a very special guest uh, that goes by the name of John. And John is coming on very wonderfully as volunteered to come on and chat today about video gaming and how do we use that in a therapeutic manner. So hi, John, can you introduce you to yourself to the crowd and let you know who you are? Hi, Justine. Yes, I can. Um, So my full name is John Fledzinskis, Dr. John, Dr. Fled. I just prefer to go by John. Um, And I am a licensed psychologist. Uh, My practice is in Westlake Village, California. It's about 40 minutes west of LA. And uh, I provide regular therapy with older teens and adults. And I also provide neuropsychological assessment for ADHD, autism, and learning disorders. Um, In terms of video gaming, I love working with clients involved in geeky and gaming culture. Um, And yeah, I'm a geek myself. I, I love the term geek and nerd. I don't think there's a lot of stigma attached to those anymore. I feel like it's kind of flipped itself on its head and it's like a cool thing to be a nerd now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I involve uh, video game culture and geekdom into aspects of my therapy, um, if appropriate with clients, if they're really involved in that as a part of their identity um, or just their passions and their hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. I know we were just talking before we hit record here and and just about how, I mean, there's a lot of stigma, I think, regarding video gaming and, and gaming culture and um, just even trying to flip that script and really try to, you know, use it in a therapeutic manner and, and how that basically can be done. It sounds like that's really something you do a lot with your clients, um, which is really incredible, right, to use something like that with uh, um, all sorts of people. Right. It's a, it's definitely a privilege. Uh, if you if you would have told me that I could use my interests to focalize right my specialty with psychology and to just uh, invest all my time and energy into that, I would have thought um, no way. Or who would be interested in that? Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because you know working with clients. I mean, I hear all the time that people use video games. Right. That could be like some sort of you know, intense video gaming that they do, or just even like, I don't know how many people have games on their phones now, right? Like Candy Crush was <laughs> a thing for a while, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And people of all ages, which I think it's, it's to some degrees perceived as sort of like a teenage, you know, thing to do, right? Um, or even genderfied, right? Only teenage boys do that, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really expanded out thanks to phones and technology, but a lot of people enjoy using them. Right. Totally. And, and the accessibility, right. I think is what's helping destigmatize gaming. Um, it's not just something that these, you know, potentially socially inept, right. Uh, older or younger teenage boys are doing right where they're um, 
being labeled as being antisocial or being told they need to go outside or what they're doing is bad. Um, and even even the gaming industry itself, right? Uh, it's it's there's a shift in it, very subtle, very slow. But, um, you know, even marketing, right, for instance, games aren't just, you know, having overly sexualized female characters on every box art. And right. it's not all about violence and gore and, and fantasy and whatnot. Um, gosh, have you seen there's like a meme where it talks about this uh, It's a, a feminist who, uh, who is she's talking about like, this is why I hate video games, because they appeal to the male fantasy. Right. That became a meme. Of course, you know, gamers wanted to memeify that. Because that you know, if you're a gamer, you know that's not all that video gaming is even close to being about nowadays. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think if you do any type of video gaming, and I know I told you I have a very brief experience and very select a few type of games, um, you know, there's there's a lot to it, right? It's not just this kind of I want to zone out and just do whatever, be violent, right? I mean, if you play any sort of video game, there's lots of factors to it that um, can be beneficial, right? Or, or bring about something to somebody's life that um, maybe you don't even get in the real world, really. Right? Cathartic, yeah. A, a lived experience, projective identity, right? I can project myself onto a character depending on the game. I can be somebody, you know, and take maybe what we could consider like a healthy risk, right? In my interaction with either NPCs non-playable characters or other people right mm -hmm. uh, who are available via text or chat in this virtual world right yeah yeah well and I know and I think it's hard to kind of corner in video gaming because it's so expansive right and I know there's going to be some maybe terms we use today that um you know I don't even know so I appreciate you expanding on them for us but um you know, I think a lot of times people, like I said, view video games as maybe bad or or not good for people who use them. But really, in today's episode, it's about why are they so good or what's so good about them? And then how do we relate that to using them therapeutically um, in, in a way that's going to actually help clients? Yeah, yeah. Sounds fun. Great. Okay, let's dive into it. So I guess when we talk about video games and gaming culture and and there's you know a number of terms even gaming identity and stuff like that mm. what would you kind of define I guess like what is a video game just so our audience can kind of get an idea of, of what that looks like or what's included there sure so I think a video game is a uh, digital medium right in which a player is interacting with a game that has a set of rules and characters in it um, and this is my like piecemeal definition um, if you want a really uh, a thorough definition clinically, you can read The Gaming Mind by Alexander Chris. He does a really good job mm -hmm. at that. But it's a virtual, you know, virtual engagement with a medium, characters, rules, and it can be played, you know, by oneself uh, against uh, computer controlled characters, against other people. And it can be done in a variety of ways. So mm -hmm. games can be played competitively, casually. Um, there are games being purported to help treat ADHD that are being released, right? Um, there's, so there's all kinds of different games that are, are, are made in different genres as well that, you know, I, I don't really have, I don't think we have time to cover every single genre of game. You could Google that and find a nice Wikipedia, I'm sure, but right. just so many different variables that are interacting with one another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it really sounds like, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I know, you know, there definitely are video games geared towards some sort of mental health issue right like something for ADHD or I know I've seen some games I think they're kind of CBT based but 
really, you know, you can use, it sounds like a lot of video games that are not geared towards sort of a mental health therapy perspective, um, you know, as something useful for clients. Oh, a hundred percent. Gosh. Just, I mean, just an example of that. And this is a very like direct and clear cut example would be, I, I have two people that attended my wedding two years ago that met through world of Warcraft mm. um, and they're married. So, you know, I don't, I don't think they were looking for dates, right. They weren't on Tinder or anything when they played the game, but um, one of our mutual friends set them up and, and I know people have actually hosted virtual weddings on world of Warcraft. So, wow. But yeah, you're right. I mean, games, you know, a, a game can be played in such a variety of ways too. Um, mm. Like you had mentioned, you played a game Skyrim, right? And mm. Skyrim is a first person or or third person perspective game. You can change the perspective and how you look through the character. Right. And it's a role-playing game where you choose like a race, you choose a focus on how you're going to attack and defend yourself. And yeah. you can, you know, fight random players uh, or sorry, can randomly controlled um, uh, NPCs, right? Right. Or you can befriend them. You have all these quests, you know, and so the game can progress through quests or you can just mm. explore it as an open world and go diving into the visual aspects of it or read up on the lore and the history of the game, join communities that cosplay, you know, dress up like characters as a part of the game. And it's just, there's just so many different ways that games, and that's just one game, right? There's so many different ways that these, these games and these genres of games and, and subcultures found within these games um, can blend together and and have a lot of meaning and depth in our clients' lives. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's so fascinating, I think, because, you know, I think if you, if you haven't played video games or, or maybe that's unfamiliar to you, I think a lot of times there is this big misunderstanding of what that includes and, and what that might provide. Right. You know, even just like the basic social aspect, right. Of, of socializing with other people, building some sort of community you're engaged with. Right. Um, you know, that can be huge for people's mental health. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and it could even open up doors for let's say socialization that these clients didn't know they had, because mm -hmm. I think we receive messages about the way we live our lives and the way that we engage with aspects of our world that um, either affirm us or possibly stigmatize or shame us. And if you, you know, if you're a, a, what, what generation am I? I had to think about that for a second, a millennial like me, gosh, I almost said Gen Z, calm down, John, you're 31. <laughs> How old am I? Right. Yeah. <laughs> How old am I? Yeah. Let me think about that Friday afternoon. Jeez. Um, so, you know, if, if you're a, a millennial like me um, and, and this could just be my own personal history, but growing up, you know, video games weren't really a cool thing to talk about. I didn't feel like I had a lot of avenues to find people at school who did those things and connect with them, maybe in passing if the conversation came up. But um, when I got into competitive games, you know, it became a central focus for a lot of my friends. We wanted to, you know, the grind culture, play to get better, learn the intricacies of these games. And then that opened up doors for connections with people in those communities locally. Right. Hey, do you play, for instance, Super Smash Brothers? That's a huge competitive game. And there's different uh, versions that have been released over the years. You know, hey, do you play Smash? Oh, which version do you play? Okay, cool. Who do you play? Mm. Do you want to play sometime? Do you have your own group that plays? When could we meet up? And then nowadays it's, do you have a Discord, right? Do you know right. what Discord is? No. <laughs> Dis Discord is a web-based and app-based uh, program that sets up gamers and other communities who have shared interests to have basically groups that they attend where they can chat via voice, text, or video. Okay. 
Okay. Cause I've heard that word before never defined that way. I've always thought, I actually thought that was a video game itself, but clearly well, now, not. you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's why we have you here, right. To define all these words that I'm sure I've heard it even from clients that I'm like, okay. Right. And you Google after session or you assume something, right. Yeah. 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 And, and just, I'll just elaborate just a tiny bit more, just, mm. you know, discord, for instance, it's kind of like, if you remember forums, right. So when mm. forums were a big thing, it's like a forum where you can post different topics, it's moderated. Yeah. And um, it can be a Discord that you set up with your personal friends, a Discord that was set up by a gaming company itself. So there are official Discords. I'm sure, for instance, Skyrim, that, that, that game is built by a company called Bethesda Studios. I'm sure Bethesda has a huge Discord just for their fans to follow where they can post fan art, talk about the game specifically, talk to the developers, engage with their community, you know, plan events, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's what's so fascinating is that it's huge. Like, you know, I, I think if you talk to a lot of, you know, G generation Z, I think we're on or whatever it is, right? You know, it's a lot of younger people nowadays. I mean, the internet and using technology is a huge part of their lives, right? Um, and that's just part of even just where society is kind of going anyways, right? Mm -hmm. um, that this is become such a big part of it that I think even therapeutically, we almost have to catch up as well, right? You know, there's some usefulness in that, that, you know, we can definitely utilize with clients. Yeah. hundred percent, you know, like these, the Gen Zers, right? Generation Z. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Gen Z are saying that is like a diminutive way of, of referring to the generation. So sorry, any, any Generation Z people listening, but <laughs> I think, you know, with Gen Zers, um, they've grown up with technology and it's so enmeshed in how they interact, right? Even Gen Z clients, it's like, oh, hey, do you, they're like, do you have a Snapchat? Can right. I text you, you know, Saturday morning? I'm like, no, man, I'm sorry. I'm not going to respond <laughs> to that. But, um, you know, it's this immediacy of access, right? And instant gratification stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it, they're so enmeshed in the culture of connectivity on the internet that, um, it's it's uh it's going to be a disservice to us if we really want to connect with these clients and understand the worlds they're navigating. Right. I think also if you think about technology itself, mm. um, this kind of goes into the whole topic, which I, I think we'll get into about like what is problematic and addictive gaming versus healthy. Mm. I think uh, we have to think about what are the technologies and platforms that are being created, right? And how much power do we have, and how much power do they have over us? So mm. to think about the algorithm, right? And, and targeted ads and such and TikTok. Oh my gosh, TikTok. Talk about hijack your reptilian brain, you know? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. Every Friday night, I feel like it's just uh, swiping. Right. And yeah. And is, is that a you problem or is it the policies and procedures mm. that created that technology and them right. not regulating that? Right. And making that more user friendly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting thing to think about, right. And just how that relates to our clients and working, you know, as, as therapists, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we jump into how do we integrate all of this? So how do we integrate video game culture and gamer identities and all these kind of intersectional parts? Like how does that all kind of go together in a therapeutic lens? 
So first and foremost, you know, if you're if you're not as involved as I am, I still play video games daily. I talk with my friends about them. Mm. Uh, my wife's a mobile gamer. You know, if you're not as involved or, or or learned about certain aspects of gaming and gaming culture as me, you might not readily pick up on some things right with clients. Mm. Um, for instance, let's say a client in passing said they were playing a video game. You know, if, if you're not really understanding about gaming culture or even wanting to go into that, it might just be a passing comment. And then you might say, oh, what'd you do next? Right. right. Now for me, I like hone in on that because that's an interest of mine. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit of rapport building, right. you know, a little bit of connecting with the client, meeting where they're at, but then also probably a little bit of selfish, like, you know, seeking on my end. Right. Um, that might go somewhere. It might go nowhere. Yeah. It depends on how you marketed yourself too, right? You know, mm. you said that you play games and are a geek therapist, you know, are you involved in nerd culture? Now, if it does go somewhere, what you can do is you can just simply be curious about what the clients play. Right. So you can ask questions like, oh, what do you play? Mm. And if they give the give you the name of the game you know about, you might have some, you know, preconceived notions of how they're playing or, you know, you might know the rules of the game. But if you don't know, again, just be curious. Mm. So, oh, what is that game? right? Like what is Overwatch 2? Tell me more about this game. Right. And then you can get, you know, the conversation can unfold. So you can learn about how does the you know client play the game? Do they play the game with people or by themselves? Mm -hmm. And this can unlock doors of learning about your client where you can learn about their social styles and social preferences. Mm -hmm. um, competitive games involve a lot of emotion dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Tilt, it's called in gaming terms. If you're tilted, it's kind of like a poker term they've mm. adopted also salt some gamers say they get salty okay <laughs> and, and all kinds of other things too so like are you part of you play the game competitively do you do you do it for serious like do you try to make money off this you know competitive mm. games nowadays if there's a lot of prize money and sponsors are called esports right uh and then you know just again being curious and having the client explain to you how they interact with this medium is it something they do often how many hours a day they do it and whatnot uh, and seeing what their relationship is like with the game itself. Mm, right. So even a lot of it is, is like you said, some rapport building, but even like some information gathering, right? Like what is this client into? What are some of the pieces maybe socially that they're into? What are, maybe what are parts of this game that, you know, could even be information we can use therapeutically going forward. Right. All useful to me. Yep. Yeah. I feel like I was literally just talking to a prac student about this where they were talking about their counter transference. And I'm like, mm -hmm. hey, that's useful too, because it tells you either how you're feeling about something that the client's bringing up or you're gleaning some feeling they're having and you're taking it in, right? Mm -hmm. And if a client's really passionate about a game, but they don't make a lot of eye contact when they talk about it, their body posture changes, right? Or if they're really reluctant to keep talking about it because they're like, oh, that's not interesting, but they do it five hours a day, whoa right? A lot of therapeutic information you're getting right there from just that very brief interaction. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, you know, I sort of equate it to kind of anything, right? Like we often, you know, I, with clients, you might ask them about like school and their work and, you know, things that are a big part of their lives. But I think you're right. I mean, a lot of therapists, even myself, you know, somebody says they play video games for fun. Cool. You know, I might skip over that and proceed going forward with, you know, some other avenue, right? Yeah, yeah. And that very that that very well may align with the client's experience. You know, you know, for instance, someone might be a casual, like a mobile gamer, and play like a bubble pop or words with friends, right, or something. You know, some kind of freemium mobile game. Okay. Freemium meaning it's a free game, but you have to pay premium prices to progress quickly. 
Mm. Oh, I like that turn. Premium. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they like it too. Those games make a lot of money. Um, and, and we can talk about that too, about how, you know, when we talk about addictive and problematic versus healthy, we have to look at um, what is the style of game and, and the format, right? How is it made? What are the systems in it? Uh, and then what's the client's way of playing and, and how they relate to it. But yeah, all things to consider. Yeah. 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 Lots of pieces. I think that you know, it is helpful though. It's not just kind of a write-off. Like if you're playing video games for a long period of time or what I think is long, you know, that doesn't mean, okay, video game addiction, right? It, it's more so, you know, what about that is something that can be used as information, right? Yeah. Totally, totally. And then, well, I don't know if you have another question. I could, I could literally go on tangents about video games and psychology all day, but <laughs> I guess I'll let you, I'll let you ask the next question if you have one. I was just going to ask, you know, and maybe that's where it'll lean into anyways, but you know, what, I guess from a therapist standpoint, what video games, how is that useful? Like, what are the video games that are useful? Are there specific types that, you know, can be utilized? Um, even maybe it goes into some of that, the psychological, you know, benefits even of this, right? Yes. It's a huge question. Mm. Um, I'll do my best to answer it succinctly. <laughs> I think it really depends on the creativity of the therapist, okay, and their knowledge and and what is the function and purpose of the game being played. So, you know, when you start off with that concept of using a video game therapeutically, you have the notion of what does the client play and what does the client want to play, maybe even with you, right, if you're like an in-person or virtual play therapist. Or what do you think might be helpful for the client, right? Like, are you assigning the client homework or are you inviting them to play with you? Yeah. The modality, right, which meaning the actual game itself or games, um, there are games that are very directly therapeutic. Like, for instance, um, there's an indie game called Say No More, which involves you playing a, a new newly hired intern at like a business firm where everyone's telling you to do these unrealistic and silly things. And your power is to yell no at them and they go flying away. <laughs> it's oh, clearly like that. a. Yeah, yeah that's it's very much a commentary piece it's very artistic it's very funny um cute like uh cute block style graphics and whatnot mm. um yeah it's it's great but that's a very you know clear direct link with being assertive saying no right following your own preferences and comfort level navigating stressful systems um, and then you have another example which i'm actually taking from a research article i read on mm. have you ever played halo do you know about halo very briefly. I know what it looks like. I know there's, <laughs> there's, there's now a TV show, I think, based on it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's, it's a first person shooting game. Okay. Yeah. And, and you play this character called master, the master chief, his name's John. And okay. he, um, you know, he, he fights this alien race called the covenant and he fights along these Marines, you know, I won't get into the, the specifics of it, but the original one's called Halo Combat Evolved. That's the very first one mm. came out on the Xbox. I think maybe like early two thousands or late nineties. I don't remember. Sorry mm. to anybody who knows who's listening. <laughs> um, but in the game, right. There's different levels. So there's easy through legendary, easy, normal, hard, and legendary heroic and legendary are the last two. So um, depending on the level you're playing on, it gets harder, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember in this research article, which I guess I could maybe find and link, I don't know, you can maybe throw it in the comments. Um, uh, feminist uh, theory is being taught in how uh, people are born into different identities that have less privilege, right? 
And so if you are a cisgendered um, black female, right, and you are trying to navigate some educational setting as opposed to a cisgendered white male, Mm. right, uh, you might run into certain challenges that this white male not even be aware of that you're dealing with. So mm-hmm. what the what the professor had, I believe this person was a teacher, a professor, or maybe just a researcher, but they're very clever. Mm-hmm. In Halo, you can turn on these things called skulls where um, they make the game exponentially harder. Mm-hmm. They took the best proclaimed Halo player in the class, okay. made them play the game on easy on a very specific level. And the class is like, yeah, I'm sure they cheered for him. Then they had him play on the hardest difficulty with all these skulls on and he just failed immediately Mm. right and it's saying this is what it's like to have less privilege and this is what it is like to go through life with less privileges right and and just you know having these students sort of reflect on what is the experience like when you're just playing as this character right and what is it like to embody having less privilege do you feel frustrated do you Mm. feel oppressed in some way who would have thought we could have taught feminist theory through halo i was blown away when i read this article (laughs) well and what a cool way to do that that isn't you know i think sometimes there's like these borderline experiments that get done that are like this is kind of suspicious right like trying to get people to embody different things but what a great way of doing that that is not offensive it doesn't require people to try to do things that again are, are kind of borderline offensive um you know, and, and do it in a way that, you know, is really practical, right? Like you can really get into a game and understand when you have those skulls on, when you have that difficulty on, you know, it is very frustrating how you might feel if you had those on all the time. Right. Right. And it is such like a, it is a, a very, um, uh, far stretch. Right. And, and you definitely have to think about the parallels there. Right. Um, and, and certainly not, you know, the actual lived experiences of these people, right, right who have to right. deal with these things. But, and there are games that have more clear links, right? Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cool ways, it sounds like you can even draw parallels between games, which is really interesting. I mean, I think with some of my experience with play therapy, I mean, there are times where you do things in play therapy where you might be more directive, you might draw those parallels for clients or, you know, even test that out, right? Like, oh, I wonder if this character is sort of like you or, you know, those pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which seems very similar with what you can do with video games. Right, right. And, and you know, like a traditional play therapy, if you're creating like, a, like, like you're asking them to do a house tree person, right? Or having them do some sort of like a engaged exercise with like figures and characters, you know? that's a very broad and imaginative ex- experience right and and um, in- intervention now in a game of course you're confined by the rules and the medium itself right so on a system how it's held and such uh, but really it's it's up to um, you know clinical judgment and mm-hmm. uh, therapeutic creativity to try to draw parallels and honestly honestly if you want to think about it this way parallel play is a thing Mm. And sometimes if clients have specific interests, right, especially those who may be neurodivergent and their their interests are video games, right, and just having that avenue to play with somebody who feels safe and that understands and validates you, sure, you can go into your, you know, case conceptualization and therapeutic application of games, but also you're just kind of being with that person and doing something with them that they really like. Yeah, you know, I think it can come down to just that, that again, that being being with and being seen and heard and that safety, right? I think we often, 
I mean, I know I sometimes get lost in the interventions piece of being a therapist, but at the core of it, that is really, you know, what is therapeutic about being together, right? Is, is that being with and having that relationship with somebody who, who is willing to listen and, and who's willing to get to know you, right? Letting go of shame too. I mean, you know, people can have shame about how many games they play, what type of games they play, how often they play. We all receive mixed messages about, you know, video game play for ourselves and others. And I can imagine even somebody who's the most gaming, you know, pro gaming person out there, gaming positive person certainly has faced some kind of stigma throughout their life, you know, even subliminally about their engagement with this medium and, Mm -hmm. and not knowing, you know, how to, consolidate that there's like a level of dissonance right Right. even within the gaming community right i've seen people who if you get if if one team loses and another is like trash talking they might call them nerds or something like that Mm -hmm. right and it's done very tongue-in-cheek but you can also tell there's a hint of maybe shaming there or it's very subtle but it's still there Mm. yeah 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 you know and and how that can even i mean i can imagine that will impact how a client even presents video gaming within a session, right? Like if there's, I mean, there's a lot of preconceived notions about video games. And, you know, I think even when I, you know, I know a lot of times, even if I work with like teenagers, right? Like they sometimes assume adults don't want to hear about it, right? Or or their parents think it's too much. So, you know, I don't even want to bring it up or, or there is some sort of shame associated with using this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes me think about, um, again, going back to addictive or problematic gaming. Mm. If, you, if you'd like to talk about that. Why don't we jump into that? Like, I think that's an important piece, maybe distinction, kind of d- distinguish for everybody. What is kind of problematic, addictive? What is healthy, beneficial gaming? Like, what are, what are those features? Yes, okay. I'm excited to talk about this. And, and this, is, this is, of course, how I look at this. Right. Uh, this is this is my viewpoint. So the first thing I want to think about is take any behavior that a client engages in. Okay, mm-hmm. who is the one to define what is healthy? Is it us mm-hmm. or them? And think about it. anything: food, sex, mm-hmm. alcohol. Okay. Um, if it's an addiction, right, then it's causing problematic, you know, uh, consequences, and sometimes there's withdrawal and tolerance symptoms, right? And we have emotional distraught usually there's a history of trauma too if we have actual addiction that's been developed but thinking about like what is a healthy behavior okay Mm. and if we think about gaming gaming already itself is is been stigmatized so we have generalized to say that all gaming is the same if we're saying gaming is addictive and so we're saying things as and we're saying we're basically agreeing with a nuanced statement of like world of warcraft is the same as tetris Mm. but it's not at all right i mean it's a completely different game completely different set of rules um the time it takes to do well or win the game is is vastly different we're talking about 10 minutes compared to thousands of hours right Mm -hmm. so we need to we need to consider first and foremost who is defining what is healthy right and how are we defining what that is or problematic right who is defining how are we defining problematic let's say a client comes in and says i can't stop playing the game i'm addicted to it right So then you can break it down into, you know, like what we'd call a functional behavioral analysis. Mm. So, okay, how often do you play? What kind of games do you play? This is where the the knowledge of what are, what type of games are there, right? And exploring with the client, okay, this is what the game is. 
Um, how often do you play? What kind of problems has it caused? Mm. Okay. But then also thinking about what's the function of gaming. So why do you play this game? Mm. Right. And why do you think you play it this much? And typically what you can see with any kind of gaming behavior is it's fun. Mm. Okay. It's, it's called a game for a reason, right? right. <laughs> I don't think you'd play a game if it sucked. You didn't think you'd play a game over and over if it was just terribly boring, right? Right. Yeah. 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 But then thinking about what other functions does the game serve? Does it help you cope? Okay, what's it help you cope with? Maybe mm -hmm. your household is a very, you know, hard place to be. Maybe there's people yelling a lot. Maybe you are neurodivergent and have extreme burnout after being at school all day. And this is the sensory activity that, you know, relaxes you and helps you connect socially in a way that feels safe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you are using the game to procrastinate and distract from homework, right? But what if you have ADHD and you procrastinate already and gaming is just the thing that you're doing? Right. See how all of these instances involve potentially problematic gaming, but the underlying causes and reasons are so much more nuanced than just saying the game is addictive. Right, right. So that's why I think that curious mindset is very mm -hmm. important, right? The, the understanding of what is the function of gaming. Mm -hmm. And then after you've looked at problematic aspects, also looking at, well, what does the game, what, what healthy functions does the game serve, right? Mm -hmm. Social connectivity, autonomy, maybe some clients feel like they don't have control in a lot of avenues in their lives and um, playing Skyrim and beating all these quests and getting all this gold, right? I'm making a decent amount of money. I'm doing well. I feel positive. Maybe I feel more rejuvenated and can go do my you know chores now or do the yard work I need to get done, right? Yeah. There's all different ways we can look at this behavior and define it as problematic or healthy. So it really just involves a, a lot of a, like a deep dive with your clients and a, a good conceptual um, skill base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's almost like, you know, I almost, it sounds like it's like anything, like being curious first and asking questions and really breaking things down is going to just, again, give you more information that's going to be helpful in understanding this person instead of assuming things right assuming that them playing video games for four hours is something bad or or that they're addicted or you know sort of these pieces that have been put on video games already right yeah. right exactly that have sort of generalized into all gaming behavior and and we internalize messages we hear about what we do yeah 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 well and i can just see how that you know when we bring it back to sort of that shame piece right that further rejects this person and further shames them that, you know, it's, it's, you know, if I was somebody who really found a lot of autonomy or, or found a lot of benefit out of video games, right. Shaming me for doing them is, is might not make me stop. Right. If anything, that might turn it more problematic than, you know, the exactly. of it. Right. I agree a thousand percent. I think uh, shame is a huge component. And, and, and if you think about any addictive behavior, right, the behavior itself doesn't need to be bad or wrong. Like, right. is there any, who are we to define something like gambling is bad or wrong mm -hmm. or drinking alcohol, right? But I do think when an actual addiction develops, that shame is a huge component of that. And shame is what makes the behavior, you know, something that needs to be kept secret or compartmentalized here or, you know, uh, leads to more shame or self-judgment. It's like this very vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it really starts to turn it the other way, right? It, it no longer just becomes a behavior and, and even controllable in a way, right? When there's shame involved, it often becomes this overwhelming thing, right? That we almost can't stop doing or it starts to, you know, affect our lives. Yeah, yeah. And then the behavior, you know, if you enjoy it, it's even more taboo. Like, oh, I love this thing that everyone hates that I shouldn't do. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can just see how that further isolates you from the rest of the world or the people around you, right? You become this kind of isolated individual when, you know, really what you're doing is actually meeting maybe a need or, or is, is providing something to you that makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe you're like stuck on something and trying to figure it out. Um, I can remember that book I mentioned, Gaming Mind by Alex Chris. Um, I think he talked about going through a, a period of his life where he's playing a game called Silent Hill 2, which is like a horror-based game. It's a very creepy game, by the way, if you haven't played it. All the Silent Hill games are very creepy. Um, <laughs> but he kept like repeating this like scenario in his life. And I think his character like kept dying or something. Like he just couldn't figure it out when he didn't realize there were other ways he could play to like finish it. And it paralleled something in his life that he kept revisiting and making a similar mistake in until he thought about something differently. I don't, I'm misquoting that drastically. Yeah. Like there are, there are definitely like very deep and meaningful, you know, descriptions he's giving to the process, but, yeah. but, but, you know, a real life problem paralleling how somebody is playing a game. I can see that being entirely feasible because mm -hmm. they're trying to, it's again, it's like that healthy risk mindset. Yeah. I can try out this in this game to try to figure this out because there are less real world repercussions when I do this. Yeah. 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 And even gaining that, like, I think that's even just how you described it, that story of him revisiting this in the game and how that when you maybe expand out or you, or you look at other ways of doing something, that mastery, like how amazing, right. You know, I think of anything that we accomplish in life that can be, you know, transformative for us. Right. And that could be in video games, right. Or that could parallel into, you know, our real lives. Right. Yes. And, and if we see that behavior repeated right in the game and, and, and we're quick to say, oh, that's, you know, that's problematic or, you know, that's addictive. We're not getting at what's underneath all of that. There's rich clinical data there that we're just not gleaning. We're not exploring that. Yeah. 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 So cool. Now, now my brain's wheeling about all these things of <laughs> even my personal use of video games. I'm like, what am I trying to do? What am I doing with this? Right. Why did I get stuck there? Right. touched on you know integrating that what we can learn from it um but I guess like you know if there's therapists out there who are really interested in this and this could be like therapists who maybe play video games in their you know spare time or people who like have no experience right who knows um how do how do we start incorporating this how do we start to use this in our work so I'm still learning I would say find communities that are involved in like geek therapy. I believe there's a geek therapy community on Facebook. Um, I really am going to like tout Facebook groups here. Oh my gosh. I've learned <laughs> so much from Facebook groups. It is, it is amazing from other clinicians, right? Licensed yeah. mental health professionals, yeah. uh, reading books. So um, there's a book called Grand Theft Childhood. And it, uh, it's two, uh, it's a married couple, both researchers that did research in the early 2000s on, uh, is video game addiction a thing? Does it, does, do video games cause aggression or is it a chicken and egg? And it's interviews with kids and parents. So you get some kind of funny, uh, quirky comments from kids talking about beating the bad guys and stuff too. Right. It's a, it's a pretty, uh, 
a pretty detailed description about you know mm. how video games can be viewed through a negative uh, societal stigma mm. and then also how we can consider to um be again curious and keep questioning well what is the actual problem here is it the game itself or is it other things right uh at that book by alex chris right again i guess third time i've plugged this maybe he'll give me commission or something it's called <laughs> the gaming say, right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, um, it's on my it's in my bookshelf, so that's probably why I just see it so often. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's actually a great website that helps um, uh, learned clinicians in gaming and those who might not even know much about gaming about um, different patterns that video games have been developed that lend to problematic play or repetitive play that might detract from the quality of our lives. It's called darkpattern.games. Okay. Um, the, the title is helping you find healthy mobile games avoid addictive gaming dark pattern so for instance you know having to play by appointment the game punishes you for not locking on at a certain time my goodness it's not a job right paying to skip right you have to if you want to skip this level give us four bucks so it's it's very much like it, again some games are designed to be more like a hamster wheel Right. Mm -hmm. And they're playing on your reptilian brain, your reward system, and they're trying to get you to pay as much attention, much like these algorithms on the Internet. Right. Hey, Facebook, um, <laughs> please use ad block if you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um, and again, just being curious and joining communities, networking with other clinicians. I believe also there was the uh, didn't they have that recent you're you said you're learning about play therapy. Didn't they just have a play therapy convention? They did. I think down, I don't remember it was, but it was in the States. The, I think the Association for Play Therapy just, just did it. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then going to networks like networking events like that and, and mm -hmm. just learning from other clinicians and asking more questions and consulting if you don't know, and maybe even playing some games yourself too. Yeah. That can help too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a, a amazing world that you can get into, right? And it might not be, I don't think anybody will know all the games, right? I, I don't think that's possible, but I think definitely having just even some of the language that gets used, right? Or or even being willing to be curious enough to look those things up, right? Um, you know, whether that is, I know one of the pieces that I really enjoy watching myself, but even enjoy to learn about how the game looks, look, you know, looks like is those game throughs on, um, or walkthroughs, I guess, on YouTube. You watch somebody else play it. You can see what the world looks like, maybe what some of the challenges are, um, even just to get a sense, right, of of what this might be for the client. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then and then learn how the client, you know, likes maybe only certain aspects of that world or or the way of interacting, right? Like I've seen kids who play Minecraft, right? And Minecraft is such a diverse game because you can mold it into whatever you want. You can make it a an exploratory world building survival game, or it can be a co-op or multiplayer you know battle arena game where people are fighting against one another um right. and then there's speed runners right oh my gosh people who beat games as fast as they possibly can by learning the nuances and all the glitches and exploits and it, it's you know gaming is such a deep deep uh experience for so many people in so many different ways so yeah like you said you know watching games too watching playthroughs and walkthroughs of the games mm. um and just kind of being curious about how how that client interacts with the game and what meaning it makes in their life right yeah 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 just right back down to that that being curious piece right I, I think that's what even makes just a good clinician in general right whether that's about video games or other stuff right that curiosity really 
helps us stay centered on, you know, what is beneficial for this client as who they are, you know, them as an individual, um, you know, and not kind of these maybe constraints or opinions or stigma that, you know, the rest of the world might hold on to. Yeah. I got to say, you know, I, I was thankful that you wanted to do this podcast episode because I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm a psychologist and I think clinically, I guess my brain might be wired either this way through schooling or naturally. I don't know at this point, but I, but I love this stuff, right? I love psychology and I love being curious. Uh, and I just so happen to like video games. And now that I'm learning how to synthesize that into the work that I do, right? It feels like I'm very much more so being able to be my authentic self and to um, almost like come out of the woodwork. You know, even when I was in grad school, I didn't, I didn't even consider doing research on video games or esports. Right. I like traditional sports. So I did my dissertation with athletes and I even did my internship with athletes. Um, but I like competitive video games just as much, if not more. So, so gosh, darn it. Why not try to transform my practice and focus on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to really the, you know, what this work is, right. Is that we're not just robots in the room and just, you know, kind of just going through the motions, right. We're humans as well. And there's something I think that can be amazing when you tap into, more parts of yourself or your passions and bring that into your work because really, you know, our work is being a human and that humanness, you know, that connection that we do share and, you know, that can really, you know, be beneficial for the client, but also us as therapists. Yeah. No, Rob, no robots will replace us. I can't see that happening. <laughs> we have the best job because you can't put a machine instead of me. Right. Yeah. Heck yeah. no. <laughs> I mean, you could try, but I mean, they might, they might invalidate you by accident and right. make it real awkward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They might piss you off. Right. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's finish up with this ending question that I, I ask everybody. And that is, what is your advice for the world of therapists? Whoa. It's a big question. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I would say I really think we're all on a journey of lifelong learning mm. as human beings, not even just as therapists. And if you are willing to admit what you don't know when you don't know it out of a place of um, wanting to learn, but also can profess to what you think you do know and have confidence to say that um, you're going to be both humble and teachable. And I think being having humility, but also having a healthy amount of assertiveness uh, and being able to impart onto others and believing that you can do that is going to make you an excellent clinician. Mm. So again, just as we've said it, gosh, you call it the C word at this point, being curious, right? Being curious and wanting to know more and uh, having fun with learning. I think learning can be a lot of fun and in graduate school, right, we we have a very specific way, even in, even in grade school, right, of how we've been taught to learn. So knowing more about like your learning style and, and knowing about what do you actually find you're passionate about and you're interested in and trying to blend that into who you are as a clinician and a mental health provider um, can be really useful for yourself and your clients. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That was such a beautiful message for all of us. Um, and thank you, John, for coming on and volunteering to come on, because I think this was just such an interesting topic and, and it was just fascinating to you know, pick your brain on how do you do this and, and, you know, all these pieces that relate to, um, video gaming and something I think we all see in the therapy room a lot. Right. Um, so I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of the 
people listening are appreciating this as well. Um, hey, thanks for having me and um, hope someone found this useful. I'm just talking about what I like to do. So um, <laughs> I'm happy to be able to do this. And I appreciate you uh, for having me on and for the time you gave me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And thank you, everybody who's listening. Um, I truly appreciate you logging on and, and jumping on to another episode. Um, feel free to follow us on Instagram or subscribe to wherever you access your podcasts um, for any of our future episodes.